cobwebs. You gotta be kidding. We were the only two people at this revival house in Rome for a midnight showing of bringing up baby. <laughs> you ever see the movie Casablanca? Same thing, except no Nazis. Oh. Husband was a movie freak. Actually, he was particularly obsessed with one movie, The Wizard of Oz. He talked about it constantly. John Wayne was tall. Dustin Hoffman was 5'6". Would you want to see Dustin Hoffman save the Alamo? I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Any man, woman, child could buy their ticket, walk right in. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Cobwebs Podcast, the show where we dust off old movies to find out what they have to offer today. My name is Daniel Epler. I am your host, and today we're going to be talking about our first Clint Eastwood movie on the show. We're going to be talking about High Plains Drifter from 1973, both directed by and starring Clint Eastwood. And joining me today is a first-time guest to the show who I'm so excited to talk to. Uh, he is, I, I know, I met him through Film Twitter, but he's appeared on such podcasts like the Action Addicts podcast and Film Feast. And he is the co-host of an upcoming Star Wars podcast that I'm very excited for him to tell you about. And he's a man who likes chicken fried. It's Andy Gorham. How's it going, Andy? <laughs> I am excellent, Daniel. Thank you for having me. It's been a dream come true to guest with all these different people I've been listening to for the last couple of years. So thank you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, uh, since it's your first time to the show, I do want people to uh, know a little bit about you. But let's start off and talk about this podcast that you've got coming out. What, what can you tell us about that? Oh, sure. I mean, there's not a whole lot right now, but uh, Chris Barreras and I have been uh, online BFFs for a while now. It's one of those things where it hit and I was like, we both like Star Wars. We both like action movies. We both like Nightwing. We both like comic books. I was like, what more could we? So we jokingly called each other twin and it's kind of stuck. And then this past uh, couple, this past month when, um, you know, uh, Star Wars um, celebration was going on, he just wrote me because we were texting all day how news coming out he goes kind of want to start my podcast again would you be up for co-hosting with me and i couldn't have typed yes fast enough um and it turns out one of his previous co-hosts mark who he's known for many years is also going to be joining us so all three of us are going to be a positive voice cutting through the fandom menace out there <laughs> that's good and that's something that that people should know because you almost hear like we're going to talk about star wars on the internet i'm sure a lot of people tense up like "Ooh, i don't know what that's going to be um but i i've gotten to know you guys pretty well on the internet and uh, we're very like-minded when it comes to star wars very positive non-toxic and uh for all those reasons i'm very excited to hear that show well thank you star wars is for everyone and should be experienced by everyone so we're here to just try to bring some fun to the Star Wars, you know, discussion. So there's some cool stuff I'm looking forward to, like breaking down old comic book series, talking about our favorite lightsaber hilts and blasters and all that stuff. So we're just going to try to have fun and try to change things up and eventually get some guests on. So looking forward to it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, well, let's hear a little bit about your, um, your movie taste, specifically when it comes to the kind of movie we're talking about now. Uh, westerns and like these old westerns. We're talking about one from the 70s, which is kind of in the middle of like the modern western and then the old classic westerns. Um, but are you are you generally a fan of the western? If so, how'd you get into these? Uh, yes, I am. Um, 
people will people will probably laugh because they always see me post positive things and I don't really rag on a whole lot of stuff. But that's because we all know the world's too full of negativity and I'd rather just focus on what I like or try to find things I like about stuff, even if it doesn't quite gel with me. But um, Westerns was a way my dad and I bonded when I was a little bit younger. My dad loved Westerns growing up and was a big fan of uh, Clint Eastwood. So when I was younger, he'd show me some and then. I remember one time my parents were going to go out on a date or something and we got to go pick out a movie. And for some reason he let me pick the good, the bad, the ugly. So as like an eight year old, why am I picking a, what I didn't know was a three plus hour movie. But, <laughs> and that we, we had to bring home two VHS tapes. I was like two of these, what is happening here? So I knew that my night was all set. <laughs> so um, it's kind of ever since then just kind of hit. And I, all sorts of Westerns from, young guns to kind of more classic flavor like this or even older stuff but i try to watch more but this was a good reason to go back and revisit one that i hadn't seen in a while and it was quite surprising to me how some of the scenes played out but we'll get there <laughs> there's some there's some stuff that goes down in this movie uh for sure right <laughs> so is that how you first discovered clint eastwood was that good the bad and the ugly vhs yes yep so have you Which been like have you been like a consistent like Clint Eastwood fan your whole life? Has he always been like one of your guys, one of your big movie stars? Uh, crazy to think not one of my movie stars, but one of those whenever his movies come out and I watch it, I'm like, why don't I follow this guy more? But it's just one of those. I think he's always been there. And um, it's just it's something I never had to seek out because it was always on either. You know, these Westerns were on like Channel 20 growing up on Saturday afternoons or you'd be seeing an action movie night and it'd be dirty, you know, dirty Harry or the Deadpool stuff like that. So, um, no, it's funny now that he actually directs more. I don't really go nuts over his, like his current stuff. I'm like, give me the older stuff. Like I'm more of a fan of that. Personally. You weren't all about cry macho. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see cry macho. I don't know. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth a watch, but you know, it's, it, it's not going to compare to this. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, my, my relationship with Clint Eastwood, he was one of those movie stars that I didn't really pay much attention to or think about very much until, like, recent years. Like, I had seen the big ones, like, long long time ago, which were the uh, the Dollars Trilogy, um, Unforgiven, and Dirty Harry. And then, you know, some other stuff scattered throughout, but those were, like, the big ones. Um, and it was actually last year I thought I should probably like watch more of these Clint Eastwood Westerns because I was getting really into like the old like 1950s Westerns and such. And I'm like, well, if you want to go past that period, Clint Eastwood's the big one. So like, let me let me watch these. And I watched, I think, pretty much all of his Westerns. I think I've seen them all at this point. And other than I think there's maybe one where he has a supporting role like early in his career. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Clint Eastwood, he's a weird one for me because, like, I don't feel like I like him. Like, when I watch him on screen, like, I think he's super charismatic. He's incredibly good looking. He's such a movie star. He should be a big movie star. But I never feel like I like him. So I feel like he works for me best in movies where I feel like I'm not supposed to like him. And High Plains Drifter is probably the pinnacle of that. And that may be the reason that this was the standout for me. And and to this day, I would say this is my favorite Clint Eastwood Western. Maybe my favorite oh. Clint Eastwood movie other than maybe Dirty Harry. Um, oh. But it might even be this one. So 
I'm a big fan of this. I'm very excited to talk about it today. Okay, sweet. So, so you prefer High Plains Drifter over the Dollars trilogy, or the Man with No Name trilogy, we'd say? That's how they call uh, it? Yeah, controversial opinion. I'm actually not a big fan of the Dollars trilogy. Um, I really like Fistful of Dollars, the first one. Like, I don't love, love it. Like, I don't like it as much as Yojimbo, which is the the movie it's a remake of. Um, right. But I, but I think it's, like, entertaining, and it partially works for me because it's short, and then when you go past that, the movies get so long. And I've only seen a uh, few dollars more and Good, the Bad, and the Ugly once. But they mm. were so slow for me. And I wasn't that into them. Um, when it comes to Sergio Leone, I love Once Upon a Time in the West. And for some reason, that movie works for me a lot more. But I probably should give them a second chance one of these days. They are, yeah. I'd, I'd give them a 4.5 like somebody would give Jaws. You know, who knows? <laughs> there it is. There it is. I was, I was going to try to wait till the end, but I'm like, nope, nope. We got to give Matt some shit early on. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, yeah. I mean, we everybody can stop giving Matt shit for giving Jaws totally. like a bad rate, not even a bad rating, but not by star rating. It's like an A. It's like an A. It's not an A plus. It's an A still. Like what I wouldn't have give to have an A when I was in college or high yeah. school. I'll, I'll take that heat now for saying I don't love the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like I feel like now I deserve it. <laughs> um okay man well let's uh let's go ahead and jump into this thing high plains drifter came out in 1973 um and it's the second movie that clint eastwood directed his first one was a movie called play misty with me which i've never seen have you seen that one yes a long time ago i need to rewatch it but okay cool so this is his second um directed film Definitely when he's starting to he started Westerns, of course, with those spaghetti Westerns, Uh, when he goes on to American Westerns, they still feel like they've got that spaghetti influence, whether you look at um, Hang 'em High, which he didn't direct, but uh, feels like very Italian influenced. And this one does, too, in that it is just one of the meanest nastiest most nihilistic movies i feel like i've ever seen um how, how did like that aspect uh of this movie like strike you watching this this time oh it, it hit hard from the moment he what he rides into town and then what happens when he gets into town he's not even there 15 minutes and stuff happens and i was just like i i, I thought i liked clint eastwood but after this movie i don't think i like clint eastwood anymore like he's just, it's a very interesting weird like you said, very mean character, but I, you, I would not have guessed this was his second movie directing. Like there's a, there's definitely a sure hand behind the camera. Like everything looks great. And I'm sure, you know, that's not just him. That's his, you know, uh, you know, cinematographer and stuff like that. But, but he had a good eye of what to look for and what makes a Western fun. Cause it, it never felt slow at all. So any of the, the good, the bad, the ugly and stuff like that, where it suffers from, drawn out stuff this movie does not do that it clips along at a very fast pace yeah for sure it it jumps right into things because it it starts out like that very typical western story of, of where a lone mysterious man and the lone mysterious stranger rides into town and um and you really like I felt the danger, like rewatching it this time, where I, I just got to thinking, like, man, these towns in the Old West, they're so isolated. And there's just nothing around for miles and miles and miles. They're so on their own. And if some strange man just rides in, like, anything could happen. Like, he could just wreck shit up. He could, he could just, you know, go about his business quietly. But you really felt that, like, this is a big deal. Like, someone who people don't know 
rides in. And that's a very consistent thing about the Western genre, I think. Something I love about it is it's it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic movie, except it's just like pre-civilization as we know it today. So everything is so new and therefore so fragile and you feel like anyone could destroy it easily. And that that's very much a theme in these Westerns for sure. Yes, correct. And it's one of those towns where you could ride in and you could have a bumbling sheriff or you could have the most hardcore sheriff who doesn't let a single law break. And it's so you get you you never quite know what town you're going to show up in. And this one, it's almost like kind of a mixture of all those combined because you have the sheriff who seems like he somewhat knows what he's doing, but is also quick to just go give this man whatever he wants. Like, <laughs> so. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of the the classic Western is what kind of town are we going to get? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The set, the setting, even though they're pretty consistent and they all look fairly similar, it's always a really interesting setting to live in. Um, so before we dive too much into the plot of this movie, let's, let's talk about Clint Eastwood's character. Um, so it's a, it's a strange movie because like when he rides in, you think he's just, the cool, stoic badass, which is a very typical archetype of the Western. You feel very comfortable with this. Um, and he writes in, and everything he says is cool. When um, when the, I don't know how they would say it in the Old West, but the looser woman decides that she wants to uh, get to know him. Uh, she's played by Mariana Hill. Her name is Callie. Um, and she purposefully bumps into him. And, uh, and she starts being extremely rude. And he says, like, there's no need for that. If you want to be acquainted, just say so. And it's a, and it's a cool moment. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah. Like this is a cool oh, way to handle it. And then it goes completely off the rails and has this pretty horrifying assault scene where he just drags her into a barn. I feel like this is something we just have to address like right off the top. And yeah. that, when I was first watching this movie for the first time last year, I was just like, this is not the movie I thought I was watching. And I was really, the entire movie, I was trying to figure out how I felt about it because I was trying to figure out what the movie's point of view is on that event. And I had a very hard time figuring that out. So I'm curious about your thoughts. Oh, no, I did too. I'm still wrestling with it right now because I'm like, I like this movie. I dare say I love this movie, but I don't feel right about like about, about those feelings sometimes because that scene is very like it's when it started happening I was like I don't remember this and I'm sure as a kid or when I saw it when I was younger I was probably playing you know with guns or whatnot pretending I'm shooting and stuff not paying attention and just waiting for the action to kick in or whatever but yeah I'm sitting there I was like oh this isn't happening and I was like oh this is happening and I oh it's still going Ew, it's uncomfortably long oh this the the small person's there watching and smiling. Oh, this is disgusting. And I couldn't, it started to at least get a little more palatable when the flashbacks kicked in and you saw some of the townspeople's faces. Oh, but you still don't know. And it's still just, it's such an awkward thing. And I was like, this is not the good guy I'm used to. Cause usually he's, you know, he's always kind of a, like you said, a badass loner, like doesn't take any shit from anybody, but he also doesn't just physically assault women in the other movie i like not to my recollection that i can recall in any of those other movies up to this point yeah and and the reason i'm so conflicted on it is because on one hand like in the like maybe the the column of like why this scene should be included is it tells me as a viewer 
that he is not just like a cool badass, that he's a monster and he is a horrible, destructive force unto this town, which is interesting and it's different because if he was just cool badass, it's a movie that we've seen a million times. Um, on the other hand, I was just trying to figure out what the, what like Clint Eastwood is a filmmaker, like what is your point of view on this event? Because later when it comes up again, um, Callie runs in on him, I believe in the barbershop, and she pulls a gun on him and because she wants to kill him. And she says, isn't forcible rape in broad daylight a misdemeanor in this town? And I'm like, OK, so the movie understands that this was like a horrible thing. Right. So I'm OK with it. Like as long as we we know we acknowledge what this is. Um, and then as we move further into the movie, she seems like she's into him again. And it seems like the movie's portraying him as sexy. And I'm like, what, what are we, I don't understand. <laughs> oh yeah. When he goes and asks her for dinner and he, and she's like, I don't go to dinner with dogs. And he goes like, and of course he has the line you would, if it was the head dog. And she's like, okay, you're right. And he's, <laughs> And, That's such a like know, rise and grind bro quote that someone would post oh, online. <laughs> I know it's so. Ir- oh, I, I could just read that and go. I don't like that person. They have a very punchable <laughs> face. I guarantee they do. <laughs> but then, yeah, but then she like yeah he, he like just she just gives in and she's like well let me just freshen up a bit. He's like you're already fresh and she's like I could be fresher and he's like oh, okay and I was like oh that's weird and I'm like didn't you just like literally 20 minutes ago, you tried to shoot him in a bathtub, like point blank range. So you're a horrible aim. Apparently just going underwater allows bullets to miss you because that's not a very big, big bathtub, not a big bathtub at all. Uh, the, the writer's just like, well, she's a woman. She can't aim a gun. Uh, unfortunately that was probably right. What was said back then. So I'm so thankful we have other movies since then that have totally corrected and course correct and fixed that. Sure, sure, yeah. Ooh. So to get into the plot of the movie, um, it's kind. It kind of turns out. It seems like it's going to be a Magnificent Seven kind of movie, where you've got like uh, some hopeless townspeople, and they've got a gang that has just been released from prison or is broke out of prison or something, and they know is coming back to the town and is going to destroy everything that they built for this town. So they try to hire Clint Eastwood to clean up, to to stick around, to kill these guys off because he's the experienced gunfighter. And he doesn't want to do it, but they convince him. Um, so all of that is very stereotypical for this genre. But it goes, I think, in a very unexpected direction. So how, how do you feel about how this whole aspect of the movie plays out? Uh, this might be one of my favorite parts of the movie is the fact that they... The, all the people in charge of the town pretty much just say, okay, we want him because he's the ultimate badass. He can help us out to make sure these criminals coming back don't take over the town or do anything. So they're like, we'll give him whatever he wants. And you see the moments of where, is he truly a bad guy? Because they're giving some uh, a Native American family in the like county store guff. Remember the guy's like, get away from those. Don't Don't you touch those. And he walks past gives the kids two jars of candy and then grabs a ton of the blankets and then just gives them to the guy. And he goes, take those. And he goes, it's all free. Right. And they're like, yeah, it's all free. So there's like those good guy stereotypes, but also there's a, an air about him. Like I'm just taking advantage of this and I don't care. So it's, it's, it's very, it's almost at odds with 
what I typically like in my quote unquote heroes, but this is an anti-hero. So once you start to realize that you're like, Oh good. I don't have to worry about him doing the right thing all the time. Yeah. He, the movie subverts expectations a lot, which is probably one thing I found very exciting about it. When I first saw it is like, just never could quite get a feeling of like where it's going, which was very, very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a whole town of absolute, weasels just so weak and slimy they're all so terrible so it is entertaining watching him exploit them completely by their own choice like they're completely allowing him to exploit them the whole way because they're so extremely extremely cowardly um so it's like you put a terrible person into a town with a bunch of people you hate. And that's essentially the movie <laughs> It becomes entertaining watching him eventually literally burn their whole town to the ground. Oh yeah. I mean, he basically turns the town into hell, <laughs> hell on earth, but he um, does. Yeah. I, there's, there, there's some characters where you're like, even like, like you mentioned, like he takes over the hotel and the hotel manager gets mad and the, you know, preacher comes over and I like, he goes, you can't kick these good God fearing people out on the street. He goes, well, father, would you let him stay with, you know, stay with you? And then the father says, everybody's coming to our place and we will charge you exactly what you were charged here at the hotel. Yeah, even like, the preacher's even the like still going to charge them money. <laughs> and I like that Eastwood looks at him just kind of goes, I told you, you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> Yeah, and there's there's also that other moment when they're in the bar and he's getting his drinks for free and uh, and the bartender kind of protests and the sheriff's like, well, you know, you we told you that he was going to get anything he wants in this town. He goes, oh, I didn't mean that meant free whiskey. So again, he's like, everybody else should sacrifice for this, but not me. But me. <laughs> yeah. Yep, just weasels and cowards left and right. For sure. So um, I've heard this movie described as a gothic Western, which apparently is defined as a Western with tinges of the supernatural. Um, so what are your thoughts on the supernatural aspect of this movie? And what do you think Clint Eastwood is? Ooh, that's a good question. He's like a, the supernatural stuff is that he's always like that one step ahead, no matter what. And that's typical in Western. Sometimes we, we always want our good guy to have the fastest draw or whatnot, but usually it's when, you know, you're, you're facing off against somebody and it's skill versus skill. But I mean, the, there's a scene later where he's sleeping after dinner with, you know, um, you know, the kind of looser woman in town. And then she sneaks out and lets people in. And then he's fully clothed standing outside with a piece of dynamite ready to like got the drop on them. So he's never in any quote unquote danger from the people in the, the town or anything else like that. And so that's the, that's quite, yeah. Cause I read that same thing and I was like, that's kind of the only thing I could get in terms of the Gothic horror, or the supernatural element was just that he's like almost seems destined to wreak havoc on this town and he has free reign for whatever power he needs to do that. So you don't think he's a ghost? Of that guy that got murdered there? I thought he was he was the guy's son. Oh. But that's but that that's how I viewed it. But then again, you're right, because he mentions 
you know, you know my name already. So that's why I was thinking it was the, the last name. Oh, and not that, but that's actually that could that's really cool. I see. I didn't want to read too much on it because I wanted to talk with you about it and see okay, what, sure. you, what you heard. And I was like, I actually really like that. So um, and yeah, that. Oh, shit. Yeah, just OK. You just literally heard my mind get blown here on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. I, I think he is a ghost of that guy of the the old marshal um, mm-hmm. who got murdered in that town. And the backstory they reveal in the movie is he got murdered because their mine that they the business uses to make all of their money for this town was on government property. Um, and he was going to turn them in for that. And they decided to bullwhip him to death there in the street. So I do think the movie's telling us that Eastwood is a ghost of that guy. I don't know why they don't look the same. I guess if if you're a ghost and you have ghost powers, you just have the superpower to look different Um, because it would be, it would be necessary for his mission to look different. He can't just look like the same guy that they just murdered there. Um, But then also at the end of the, at the very last shot, when he's like riding off the sunset, he just fades away. Like he's an apparition. Right. Like this, this job's over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I really, I really dig that. But it does feel like, but it does feel like he's not, um, he's not just like a, how, how am I going to say this? It doesn't feel like he's just simply a ghost coming for revenge because he feels like he does more than revenge. Like he really, wrecks this town bad and i feel like there's some and he turns the town into hell it feels like some kind of a nick cage in drive angry situation where he's literally come out of hell with powers of hell to just do evil and and get revenge mm-hmm. have you yeah, seen drive angry basi- yeah, of course i have yeah he's, okay, he's basically yeah. he's basically <laughs> uh hell spawn at that time so yeah you're you're right yeah it's very very cool that 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 was another thing that was so exciting to me of why I saw when I first saw this movie. Another reason, like it's my favorite is it was just constantly blowing my expectations out of the water, doing unexpected things. If you're a big fan of Westerns, like it really sets you up to think like this is a typical Western and it's so not, I, man, I just thought that was so awesome. Yes, maybe that's why the soundtrack sounds so haunting to me when he comes riding into town and leaving. It's not your typical Western soundtrack at all. Like it's very, you know, horror movie esque, like gothic almost, to where when he's like riding in, I was like, oh, this is not good. This is very ominous. This is, and he's very stoic sitting on top of that horse and never is in like a hurry, never is nervous, never is upset. I mean, he just seems even throughout the whole thing. So, yeah. Huh. His kid, what am I, a fucking idiot? <laughs> he's definitely, <laughs> a, he's definitely the ghost of that guy. <laughs> no, it's all good, dude. I think there's, the, the movie doesn't, the movie's not super explicit on what's going on. It is open for some interpretation. So I don't think you're certainly crazy to have a different interpretation or anything like oh, that. Sure. No, but I am like glad it's better. <laughs> my, mine is spookier because yeah. I, I like spooky stuff. So there you go. Um, I did. I'm, I'm glad that you called out the music though, because I love the score for this movie. Um, it's done by a guy named D Barton who was not, he wasn't primarily a film composer. Um, he's primarily a jazz musician, but he did three movies for Clint Eastwood. And, um, and he also, I, I, when I was looking him up, I thought it was interesting. He did the score for a very cheesy, low budget 1982 slasher movie called death screams that I saw Ooh. because arrow video put it out on Blu-ray. Um, 
So that's interesting. He's had a very, very varied career. Yeah. So what are some other aspects of this movie that you love or you're wrestling with? Like what's some other stuff you want to talk about? One of the other aspects that's, that just kind of grates on my nerves a little bit is that every, every female character eventually just gives in to him. And at least the second one is not so much forced upon like the first, you know, female was, cause what was the second uh, character's name? She was uh, uh, Sarah Belding, who's played by Verna, uh, Verna Bloom. And throughout the whole movie, she's actually, she's, I like her character quite a bit. She's like not afraid to stand up to this guy when everybody else in the town is all like, you know, bowing down before him and putting him up on this pedestal. She's just very snide with him. She's, you know, she's like, would you like dessert? And he's like, I've already taken care of that. And she's just like, and just walks out, doesn't entertain anything. And then when, and it's almost her character seems to be one of the only ones who agreed with the former uh, sheriff or, you know, constable, whoever it was who wanted to tell to turn in the fact that the the mine was on government property because they don't have rights to it. And he was being honest. She seemed to be the only one who understood that that was a good or right or good thing to do. And she just her She was drowned out by everybody else. So maybe that's why he treats her a little differently than he does some of the other characters, because I don't remember seeing her face in the flashbacks where you see some of the townspeople's face in light and some of them are in shadow and that is an uncomfortably long whipping scene. Like it just goes on and on and on. And it's, it's not grossly violent, but it's just audibly violent with those sounds of those whip cracks and everything. So that scene in general, and you know, the fact that they show it a couple of times, that one, one stood out for me quite a bit where I was like, and that's why I thought he was possibly his kid. Cause it was from like another point of view of somebody looking oh, at it. Sure. So I was like, okay, maybe he was there and nobody else knew about, quote unquote. So, but yeah. 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 That, that whipping scene is pretty disturbing and, and Clint Eastwood definitely holds on it for a long time. Um, I'm so glad you brought up the character of Sarah. She's very interesting because she's really the only character in this movie that is not a cowardly weasel or a monster. Well, Callie isn't either. I mean, she's really a victim. Um, but yeah, she's the only character that really does stand up to him. Uh, in the small ways that she can, because women are granted so little power in this kind of society. There's not a lot that sure. she can do. But it is weird that she still sleeps with him. And the way it happens, it, it feels like that, I don't know, a really dumb Clint Eastwood fantasy. where he's like just a like, 12-year-old wrote it and like, yeah, the girl's going to like, even though I just was mean to her and pulled her hair. She still likes me. <laughs> right. It's like all, all he has to do is just say that he doesn't want to sleep with her. And then she's like, Oh, I'm so mad. And then they, and then they have sex and it's like, I'll show you oh, okay. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Stranger with no name. <laughs> yeah. And I'm very glad she leaves her husband because her husband is the worst. He is the hotel owner. Who oh God. What a douchebag. Yeah, he, like, tries to stand up to this whole thing, but only behind Clint Eastwood's back. Like, he won't say anything to his face. Um, and, 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 and by the way, we just say it. We're just saying Clint Eastwood because the character doesn't have a name. It's another man with right. no name character. Um, yep. And Clint Eastwood drags Sarah off to his room. And this guy, her husband, just watches it and <laughs> literally does nothing to protest. So I'm very glad that she leaves him at the end. Um, well, me for too. For sure. 
Yeah, there's a, a couple of different times where like some of the different townsfolk mentioned like anything he wants from. And then I was like, did they just offer him that? I was like, oh, and it's, you know, they were basically implied to the hotel manager. They're like, you know, if he wants to sleep with your wife, you kind of have to do this or we're going to lose our town. And it seems like everybody cares more about the town than the people that make up said town. And without those people, there is no town. So who cares? That's a very good point. Very good point. Yeah, for sure. It's that, you know, it's, well, I hate to bring it up again, but it's kind of like Jaws where they're like, (laughs) so we have to let this shark eat people because if we close the beaches, then we're going to lose our economy. And it's ultimately like people are so scared of losing their economy, frankly, for good reason. People go through a lot of suffering when the economy bellies up. Um, So you, so it makes sense. But uh, I guess you could say Clint Eastwood is the shark in this movie. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> yes, pretty much. You know, com- complete with a haunting score that follows him everywhere he goes. There you go. And I also rated this movie 4.5 stars, just like Matt rated Jaws. You know what? I think I would also give this about 4.5. It's not quite my top tier Eastwood, but again, stronger ones for sure. But um, yeah, and I like how he turns the whipping scene on the bad guys who get, and also yeah. what's, uh, I have to say, Jeffrey Lewis, I've always liked him since seeing him in double, uh, double impact with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, he's always been one of those actors when he like shows up in something. I was like, Oh, I like that guy. And he just, he's always reliable seeing him so young. I was like, Oh man, he was a handsome, handsome devil back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I love Jeffrey Lewis. He's, he's one of those characters. He's one of those, that guy actors, right? Where you see him and yep. you're like, I know him. What is it from? I'm not sure. Yep. Um, I just recently saw him in another Clint Eastwood movie he did around this time called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Um, hmm. But he was in, he was, so he was in some Van Damme movies, double impact. You said. Yes. Double impact. Okay. Yep. He's cool. got, uh, he's actually got a really large role in that. He's like, Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, he plays twins in that. The twins get separated. He raises one of the twins. And he makes sure to say, that's why I raised you in Paris, not here because of Van Damme's accent. And I was like, guys, we don't give a shit if Van Damme has an accent. We just want to see him kick and shoot. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that they always go to the trouble of explaining why Van Damme has an accent. Always. Love it. Always. It's like in, um, I think it's Death Sentence, which is like the prison movie where he's a badass cop. Oh, but he's from Canada. He just came over here from Canada. There you go. They usually just uh, say he's Canadian. Not to correct the host, but that's Death Warrant. Oh, you're right. You're right. What is Death Sentence? Oh, Death Sentence is that Kevin Bacon movie. Yeah. That's right. Death Warrant. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I love Jeffrey Lewis. It's so cool to see him pop up in this movie. And he Mm -hmm. he's like the kind of actor that you wouldn't expect to cast in this role because he's the leader of the gang. So you'd expect somebody maybe like bigger, tougher looking. um, But he fits so perfectly in for this because he's just like a weasel looking guy, you know, like everybody else in this movie. This movie is really good at casting weird looking dudes. There's a lot of weird looking dudes in this movie. And that's something I tend to enjoy in movies, especially Westerns. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you're back in 1973. There's not too many jaws as chiseled as Clint Eastwood that could share the screen with him, but he is far and above like the most traditionally handsome out of the cast. Cause you're right. Everybody I'm like, where did they find these people? It's so it's almost like they cast based on you could be a weasel. People would look at you and think you're a weasel. And they just that's how they cast this movie. And like yeah. you look like a coward, 
and it's just down the line and it's like can you act later yes thankfully you can wonderful <laughs> yeah it's interesting that Clint Eastwood has had such a for the most part really good directing career because um, he has such a hands-off style I was watching a special feature on the blu-ray for this and it was an interview with Mariana Hill who plays Callie and she talked about how he doesn't give the actors like any direction he just lets oh, okay. them do whatever they want he doesn't talk to them about like, what's your backstory? What's your motivation? He just kind of trusts them to do their thing. And she said that if he didn't like a take, he will not give them notes. He just says, okay, now do it differently. Or, <laughs> um, or ba- basically something like that. And it's interesting because it, I feel like it makes him sound lazy, but Mariana Hill talking about it, she seemed very appreciative of it. And like, you know, that it allows for creativity and that he just trusts the actors and things like that. And it seems to work out for him because he's made a lot of really critically acclaimed movies. So it's interesting that he's been able to be such a successful director while being pretty hands off. Yeah, yeah, you don't hear that too often. But I guess when you're an actor or an actress and you sit in the chair, maybe you just display how you like to be directed and you're like oh i've had too many people tell me this is how my character is and i've read it i know in internally what my character is going to do and what my character's motivations are i don't need to be constantly reminded um or this is just back in the day when everybody worked so much they were just really good at acting and they could do whatever the role needed so the you know clean sweet could go just do what you want to do and if you didn't like it like you said there's no need to say no it's just maybe just try it different and go go that way yeah i mean there's there's always the you know the george lucas of faster more intense but i appreciate the clint eastwood do it do it differently i heard this great story from i believe it was the set of invictus um and matt damon did a take and then he said hey uh maybe i can try that again and clint eastwood said why you want to waste everybody's time Which must be great for an actor to hear that because you're like, maybe I thought I could do it better. But no, like Clint was telling me, we got it. Time to move on. But yeah, <laughs> and that's how he has to speak on the set. He has to talk like Clint Eastwood. There's no, maybe you should do it this way. It's maybe you should do it this way. <laughs> more squinting, more gravelly voice always. Oh, and anytime I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I have, I have wrinkles around my eyes now. My kids point at me and laugh at me. I look at Clint Eastwood and I'm like, well, that guy's that guy can pull it off. Maybe I can too. <laughs> Not that <laughs> I compare my looks to Clint Eastwood in the least at all, but I can at least <laughs> look in the mirror and go, okay, I can I can make this work. <laughs> I remember when I was going through my my West my Clint Eastwood Western binge last year, I put out a tweet and it was like, I feel like 50% of the reason Clint Eastwood became such a good Western, big Western star is how good his hair looks coming out of a cowboy hat. He has like oh the gosh. greatest hair in the world. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's great. It's always full, always lush, and it looks like he literally just takes the head off and runs a comb through it super fast somehow every time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why people don't like Scott Eastwood as much, because he doesn't have the squinty eyes, and his hair doesn't look as good as his dad's did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I gotta admit, I was such a Scott Eastwood hater until I saw Wrath of Man, and I was like, oh, right? they figured out Scott Eastwood. This is how you yeah. use him. Yeah, he's got to be a jerk, like just a no, a low down. I mean, he doesn't have to be. I'm sure he can pull it off. I just think he has so much going against him being, you know, Scott Eastwood. 
Yeah. Go against type. Be the bad guy. Be the guy who does that. And he was perfect in that role. Yeah, that's the one that made me go, oh, this guy can do a lot more than what he's been allowed to do so far. Yeah. You know, mentioning Wrath of Man, I realize, is Jason Statham our Clint Eastwood of today? He's kind of got the squinty gravel voice thing going on. Squinty gravel voice kind of plays similar roles in all of his movies. British Clint Always Eastwood. British Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> Although he, he doesn't have the, the luscious hair. But no, he's got he does a not. shaped head that looks great. So it's, a, it's the same basic principle. I had this weird thing a few it was just like over the last couple of years that my hair started getting to a point where I was like I'm just gonna start shaving it and as soon as I started shaving my hair my head I started feeling this like kinship with Jason Statham and I started watching his movies more and I'm like I suddenly love Jason Statham more than I did before (laughs) well as somebody who's trying to desperately hold on to what they have your head looks great shaved I don't know how mine will look (laughs) maybe one day we shall see but you're right no it Jason Statham is our modern day British Clint Eastwood and you and I will be there day one to see whatever movie he's got next, which I think is the Meg two. So sign me up, which is directed by Ben Wheatley, which is very strange fit. I'm very curious what that's going to turn out to be. I'm hoping it's what I wanted the first one to be. Not that the first one's not enjoyable, but I want, I, they, they gave me in the trailer what I wanted the first one. Like he's already kicking the shark in the face in the trailer. So I'm sold, but that's what I wanted more from the first one. I wanted Jason Statham spin, spin kicking sharks out of the water. And this one looks like just from the get go, it's like, Oh, the last one, we didn't know if we were going to be serious or if we're going to be campy, we're just going to be super campy in this one. So I'm in. I've actually only seen half of the first Meg because I went to see it in the theater and the projection broke halfway through and they just had to send us all home and I never finished it. <laughs> did you did you at least get a free ticket? Voucher I did, or but I, I okay, ended up using it for something else eventually. For, for something much, much better, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, it was fine. I wasn't disliking oh, sure. it. I totally no. would have finished it, but um, it, I didn't. I guess I didn't love it enough to finish it at a later time. But maybe before the Meg 2. Maybe that'll be my time. Mm-hmm. So I do have to shout out, and I feel like you, you kind of briefly mentioned like when we get a reverse whip scene. I got to mention maybe like my favorite shot in this movie, and it's when the whip flies in through the saloon doors on the guy and Clint Eastwood drags him out. That's like, in, in a Western that's kind of like flirting with the horror genre sometimes, that's one of the most explicitly horror shots in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I just love the idea of using a Western whip that way. That's, oh man, it's such oh. a good, such a good shot. And the way Eastwood's lit during there, because you don't see his face, but you see some of his other, like the outline of his face and the features. And it's just, and he's whipping, like his arm looks like his arm's going to go out of socket. He's just, whips, you know, and then I like after that, he just throws the whip in and it lands in the middle and everybody kind of goes, oh, we get it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got a question for you. Sure. Why do you think he paints the town red? I was thinking of that. There was a part of me that was, it was more along the lines of just giving another, you know, F you to the town. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's in, maybe it's like heart, hearkening uh, back to the fact that they just let him get whipped and all bloodied. And he's just going to make the town resemble what he felt when he was there last. Yeah. I think probably a little bit of both of those things. Probably also just, I don't know. For some reason, they had the idea in this movie to explicitly make this town hell. So I think it's also to make it look like hell. And he paints yeah. hell on the town sign. 
Um, but I also think part of it is just <laughs> just give the town another ridiculous thing to do and force them to do it. <laughs> I like to say, even the church, you can't possibly think the church, especially the church. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, from the moment the whipping, the second whipping, because he has the kind of dreams about the flashback and the, mm-hmm. the whipping scene, the moment the second one hit, or after the first one and then leading to the second one, I was like, oh, it makes sense why he's just terrorizing this town now more and more as it goes on. Yeah. And that's when I started to really not, I still don't approve of what he did, of course, but it's, you're like, oh, okay. He's making them suffer for what they did to him, regardless of how he's treating people. It's, it's all because of this, because you allowed this to happen and you guys, you know, kind of orchestrated this whole thing out of greed and out of, you know, personal gain and not being good people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's just, it's one of those seventies movies. This just tells me like kind of right off the bat, this is just going to be a mean rotten movie. And, and I don't always get totally on board for that, but I just got completely on board for it in this movie. Um, Clint Eastwood in this movie works so well for me because I tend to like him when he's a little bit less likable and he's just like this rough, mean, rotten guy. Um, so yeah, I love this movie, but it's my favorite Clint Eastwood Western. What's your favorite Clint Eastwood Western? Uh, my favorite is a fistful of dollars if I had to pick. Okay. So you like the first one, the best too. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Why is that? The first one. Um, I think it's the most succinct out of all of them like you had mentioned you know for a few dollars and then good the bad the ugly while there's parts of those movies that i really truly love and that are incredibly memorable they do drag on a little bit i love the economy of storytelling of you know fistful um i i love the theme you know mm-hmm. the you know uh Morricone soundtrack it's just i mean i i can listen to it all the time i hear it in my head Um, And that could also be the reason I kind of oscillate between that and the good, the bad, the ugly is after I rented that when I was a kid, I swear to this day, whenever I'll be hanging out with my parents, my dad will just out of the blue, just be like, ah, and then I'll be, you know, I'll just kind of go, wah, wah, wah. And we just, I don't know why it happens, but we just, so it was just one of those things when, you know, that the score sticks with you, but I just really like a fistful of dollars. That first one, it's the perfect length for me. It tells a great story. There's excellent bad guy. There's an excellent kind of hero per se, but still not the best guy either. Um, which is again, like you said, that's my kind of ultimate Clint Eastwood. I think that's why Un- Unforgiven works so well is that he's trying to be the good guy, but really just simply can't because ultimately you tr- he changed for this this woman and had these these kids, but that's not who he really truly was. And I, I like those characters that are kind of pulled in different directions at times. Sometimes I just right. want to, sometimes I want just a normal good guy. Sometimes I want an antihero. So I think Clint Eastwood does better when he's an antihero. I just don't, he doesn't ring as true to me because even his dirty Harry, I'm like, that guy's a dirty cop. Like he's, he's on the take. He's on this or that. I'm not on the take, but you know, he would not go. It's not out of the question that he would possibly do these things to get, to catch the man that he needs to catch and put him behind bars. Like yeah. everything else goes away. Rules are out the door. He just has to catch them. So I'm a big fan when Eastwood does that. And he does it in this movie better than any other 
movie he's been in. Yeah. The moment in Fistful of Dollars where it really just, it feels like the whole Western genre is being shaken up is when uh, he shoots like five guys at once. Mm-hmm. That is, that's my favorite moment probably in that whole Dollars trilogy right there. That's that's just the perfect spaghetti Western moment right there. Oh, perfect. Yep. Yep. And I also love how it kind of worked in the crash zooms of all the people's eyes and it started. And it's also, it's not as, it's still super stylistic, but it's not as overly reliant on it as it was in the later movies. And it kind of seems like it's just, uh, like you said, it's kind of the quintessential, like every other Western was like, oh shit, we have to be that good now. Like, <laughs> are you, uh, do you like one spot time in the West as well? Uh, yes, I most certainly do. I really like it. And I'm glad Clint Eastwood was not in it. I, not that he was ever. Me too. I, I think it's, I think the cast is wonderful without him. I think he's, he's great in what he does, but I love, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great one. And once again, an amazing theme song and that one's long, but it, it feels epically worth that length and there's not too many wasted scenes whereas there's a couple times in the good the bad the ugly where i'm like okay i remember we're going to the town you know to the to the camp of the the soldiers and i was like i remember this part drags on a bit and it's just like kind of and then i like it feels like i've dozed off and woke up and i was like oh we're still in the camp of soldiers oh man (laughs) but once upon a time in china or sorry once upon a time in the west does not feel that way at all it it moves it's got just an energy to it so yeah yeah ultimately i think my thing with the good the bad and the ugly is i like the clint eastwood stuff i like the lee van cleef stuff that movie's got an eli wallach problem for me like i find him so annoying in that movie and the movie spends so <laughs> much time with them and that's why I like i don't know like i I'm kind of shocked that that movie is as beloved as it is because you got to spend so much time with this really annoying Tuco guy. And uh, I'm just not about it. (laughs) And it's also the voice that they give him is so overly annoying too. Yeah. It's just like, Blondie! I was like, can you, can we not have him scream every single line of dialogue that he has to deliver? Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely a two go. It's it's weird that John Wick Four did the good, the bad, the ugly better than the good, the bad, the ugly did. I heard people doing that comparison, and I guess I don't I don't remember the good, the bad, and the ugly well enough to to totally see all the connections. Um, but the length connection definitely makes sense. The way that it switches between between characters, like I could definitely see like Keanu Reeves as your Clint Eastwood, and then maybe Donnie Yen's your Lee Van Cleef, and 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 so on maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's kind of how I took it. Plus, I mean, the uh, you know writer and uh, director Chad Stahelski, well, director slash you know spruce up writer uh, Stahelski had said this is like his homage to the good, the bad, the ugly. Okay. So, so I'm definitely think yeah, Donnie Yen's definitely Lee Van Cleef, and I think Donnie Yen and then Shamir Anderson kind of play that or kind of interchange in that role because they're both kind of not quote unquote the bad guy, but they're also not quote unquote the ugly either. And I think, you know, um, Skarsgård's definitely the bad cause he's, you know, there. So it's just, I think the length, I also like the ending, you know, with the standoff and the way that the soundtrack goes total Western. Um, and again, I think it does it better than the good, <laughs> but that's just, that's just cause John Wick four is still fresh in my mind in terms of, you know, being wowed. So 
I think I would agree with you, though. I mean, I've, I've only seen both movies once, and I would definitely say that I had a much more positive reaction to John Wick 4. So Correct. there you go. Yeah, there we go. Is John Wick 4 better than Jaws, though? For for me? Yep. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Matt has an ally. Oh, my God. Matt does God. have an ally. Matt Andrews. <laughs> uh, you, just made a, you just made an enemy out of James Coddington, just so you know. That's okay. I think I already warned him about it, and we've we, we been DMing. I was like, "Hey, I'm going. I'm going to talk. You know, um, uh, High Plains Drifter with uh, Dan." And I was like, "I think I'm going to say that I liked it better than Jaws." And he goes, "Dude, you're killing me." <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, Do you like I High don't... Plains Drifter more than Jaws? No, no, no. Oh, no, okay, good, good. No, no. <laughs> I mean, and, and Jaws isn't even my favorite Spielberg, so. Okay, um, I'm just going to guess. Is it one of the Indiana Jones? Yeah. Which one? The Last Crusade is my favorite Spielberg flick, cool. which, is a, which is a hot take. I know, I get it. Because I know that Raiders is damn near perfect. But there's just too much emotional history with The Last Crusade for me to be able to just say it's not my favorite Spielberg, not my favorite Indiana Jones movie. Because... Uh, Leading up to that, I, I think I told somebody else, my mom's best friend gave us a tape that had the Empire, or sorry, uh, yeah, the Empire Strikes Back, Karate Kid, and, um, oh my God, I'm just drawing a blank now, what we were just talking about, oh, oh uh, sorry, and Temple of, of Doom, she recorded them off of like HBO, so Andy's in heaven, I can just put this tape in and let it play for six hours and just watch in the lowest quality possible three <laughs> <laughs> so when i heard the last crusade was coming out, i was like dad we have to see the last crusade and that was another one that my dad and i bonded my dad likes star wars but not to the point where i like, not even close and he's not into comic books like i am he's not super into action movies there's some but like westerns and then indie were our kind of big crossovers so i was like yeah we have to go and i remember I think I got him to take me out of school because I like bugged and bugged. And I was like, look, if you take me out of school, we can go, we can see it beforehand. You can, cause we, I think there was a basketball game or something. I was like, then we can go to the basketball game later. So he came and took me out of school. We went and saw the last crusade. I big smile on my face the entire time. And so, yeah, that's why it's my favorite Spielberg. So I'm actually rewatching the Indiana Jones movies right now because our friend Matt on Film Feast is doing a series on the Indiana Jones movies. So I'm going to be going on for that. So I went to rewatch them all. Hey, ditto. Oh, there you go. I, I feel like I can guess which one you're going on for at this point. <laughs> Kingdom of the <laughs> yep, Crystal Kingdom Skull. The okay. <laughs> you want, no, um, do you want to hear another Andy hot take? I uh, don't hate Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I like it. I don't think I do either, but I haven't seen it in a really long time. So I'm really looking forward to rewatching it. But... It is. It was funny to me. I'm rewatching all these movies, thinking about how people got mad about an Indiana Jones movie having aliens be real. But I'm like right. rewatching Temple of Doom, and I'm like, there is so much magic bullshit that is real in this movie. Like it. Like aliens are not a step too far by any means. I've never understood this, and that's the only quibble I had with that first trailer for the new movie, Dial of Destiny, when he's like saying he's you know, or maybe it's not that one, but no, sorry. Um, it is Temple of uh, Doom when he's talking about hokey religion. You know, he's like, he's just talking about something like, you just got done with Temple of Doom. Like, you, you know, this happened. Like, Rickers, <laughs> like, you saw somebody get his heart ripped out and he didn't die and then he burned up. And then he's, <laughs> so I'm like, 
was like, it's so funny. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So I'm like, in Raiders, he should be more willing to accept these crazy supernatural right. things happening. And he's just like, nah, nah, it's bullcrap. I was like, no, it's not. You just saw it. Like he literally <laughs> helped the town come back to life over a rock. Yeah. So, but, and that's, that's also why we love Indy because it's just, you know, more nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Temple of Doom is, I love it. It's weirdly separated from everything else. Like it's, it's so different. Um, but, but anyway, what I, what I was starting to say was, um, I was just rewatching last crusade today. I didn't get, th- I haven't finished oh. it yet. Um, but I realized, I think that's the one that I watched the most as a kid. Cause I had the most like nostalgic feelings rewatching yep. last crusade, even though Raiders is my favorite. Um, I, I like, I practically have last crusade memorized. I realized rewatching it. Oh, I, I quote it so many times. There's so many like uh, Sean Connery's delivery when he's like, son, the floor's on fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the, uh, the, uh, the Austrian way better. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, I, and it's just those two pairing together was just perfect casting. It's ridiculous in all the best ways possible. Um, I, I love when Indy spears that guy on the, uh, somehow this has become a, um, Indiana Jones podcast now, but I'm not I've been stop. binging them all. So like, that's fine with me <laughs> <laughs> when, when he literally jousts that guy off of the motorcycle and he's all proud of himself and he looks over and his dad's just got this stern look on his face and he's just like, what? I thought it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> So. That's like your dad when you name off obscure Star Wars facts, and then he's just like, hmm. "Yeah." When I'm like, "Yeah, Dad, you know who that is? That's Nine Numb." He's like, "Oh, okay. This is uh, this is my kid." <laughs> okay, so uh, before we wrap up, I want to name off um, Clint Eastwood's other westerns to see if you have any opinions on those. I know I didn't tell you to do any prep work, oh, sure. But one that I find very interestingly, like kind of related to High Plains Drifter, but in like an opposite way, is Pale Rider. Have you seen Pale Rider? Love Pale Rider. Yeah, it's really, it really good. Might, yeah, it's really good. It's also a little slow at times just because there's a lot. There's like it builds to the action. But his his character is very similar to this. Like he rides into town. He's this kind of force of nature. But that one's almost like the complete opposite where he's like this savior of a town, not the destroyer of a town. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I can't remember, I think it was somebody's letterbox review, I can't remember, but somebody said, like, Pale Rider is the angel to High Plains Drifter's demon, where, like, Pale Rider is a very similar movie where he feels like some kind of supernatural ghost kind of thing, um, and he's going in, like, to do some kind of a mission, have a showdown with some guy, but he's, like, the good, like, altruistic version, and then High Plains Drifter is the evil version, so I think they'd make a really interesting double feature. They most certainly do. Yeah. Uh, how have you seen two mules for sister Sarah? My dad and I watched it a long, long time ago. Sure. And I, it's not one that's fresh in my mind or one that I think back to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember it. I, you know, as a, a, a kid, if I could sit through it and not be bored, then, you know, it's a pretty, pretty fun movie. So that's a there good is review. that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent review. And he says, as, as, a young lad, I could totally sit through this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie that actually uh, is a is a um, contradiction to what I said, where like I don't like Clint Eastwood, so I like him better oh. in roles where you're not supposed to like him, because he's actually very likable in this movie, and I really like him in it. Um, yeah, 
I put in my letterbox review, it's the only Clint Eastwood Western I would describe as cute. It's like, oh, it's a cute movie. And you wouldn't say that about any other Clint Eastwood Western. No, no. I would say after these, if because you mentioned it earlier, Hang 'em High stands out to me as a great oh, so one. Just because, oh, off. wonderful. Just because of the, oh man, the, the makeup effects of his neck are always, I still see it this day and I'm like, oh, that looks so painful. And, um, you know, just how he slowly reveals it when he wants to show somebody who he's found, who, who was the one that hung him high. And it's just like, you know, again, there's that element of somewhat supernatural that he didn't die from a hanging and all these things, but not to the point where this movie ever come ever is. Mm -hmm. But, um, so yeah, there's just, that's one of my top ones. Like I've revisited that one more often than even, but I'm going to put this one more in my rotation now after rewatching it for this, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it too. It's um, it's another one that's I hang them high is like a movie that's probably longer than it needs to be, but yeah. in that case, it totally works for me because it has all this room to breathe and it has this, it has time to have like interesting human moments and conversations and quiet uh, moments and humanizing of the villains. That's pretty interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love hanging, and that one is probably the most explicitly influenced by. Um, spaghetti westerns of all his american movies like you wouldn't even guess it's an american movie it feels so italian most certainly does uh outlaw josie wales i dig it i really it's good it's good it's fun which seems weird to say but it's uh one of those he may i mean he did have a run in the 70s there where it was just like if you wanted a western you got yeah like clint we didn't make a bad one he was the guy yeah, for yep. sure. He was he was the successor to John Wayne, even though John Wayne was still making movies in the 70s. Um, he was at that point for the old people. And Clint Eastwood was the Western guy for the young people, for everybody. Yeah. And when I say fun for Outlaw Josie Wales, I think what I'm saying fun is it's more there's a lot more action in it. Oh, sure. For me. And that that was what was fun to me was that they were, you know, like, I mean, how, how many movies has he got two guns in both hands? Usually he only needs one hand with one gun. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. one of the coolest posters ever of him, like oh, yelling gosh. with the two guns. That, that movie, I live I in like Missouri the for this movie too. Oh, for sure. I live in Missouri and the outlaw Josie Wales is a big deal here. Cause it takes place in Missouri oh. and it's about a lot of real stuff. That's true. I live in Michigan and not a lot of movies take place here. So <laughs> we don't have <laughs> The Transformers movies were filmed here. So was some some of Batman versus Superman was. And one of my friend's dogs is in the trailer. Remember when they show him on the the roof Uh when Superman's coming down and there's a dog on the the roof? That's my friend's dog. (laughs) I've never noticed there's a dog on the roof in that scene. It's it's only in the trailer. It got cut from the movie, but they made the trailer. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Is Rise of the Beast filmed near you? I don't think so, (laughs) but I'm going to go see it. There you go. There you go. Maybe, maybe for me, maybe the closest thing he made to a bad Western, Joe Kidd. Have you seen Joe Kidd? Oh, yeah. It was one when I went on my Eastwood kick after seeing those as a kid with my dad. I was like, oh, this is great. And I saw the VHS and probably spent my, you know, allowance on that. And when I got home and watched it, I was like, oh, this isn't like I remember all the other Clint Eastwood movies. Sure. <laughs> Plus, isn't it? Joe Kidd just sounds... Like, you know, like it sounded like Clint Eastwood lost a bet. <laughs> How dare you give him a name? 
<laughs> you should never have a name in these movies. I never have a name. Um, and then Unfor- Unforgiven, I think, is the last one. That's the one I need to rewatch because I I probably haven't seen that in like ten years, and it's a great movie. I I remember that was the movie actually that showed me that Gene Hackman is great because before Unforgiven, I had just seen Gene Hackman in like the Superman movies, which you know he's great in, but didn't like make me take him seriously as an actor. Um, and Unforgiven was like the first serious role I saw Gene Hackman in, so big deal for that for sure. Interesting. Okay, so you you hadn't seen Hoosiers at that time. I haven't seen Hoosiers now. I actually have it on Blu-ray and I haven't watched it yet. Okay. All right. I mean, if you want to watch one of the greatest sports movies of all time, go right ahead and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling the judgment here. All right. No, I'll you're not feeling it. judgment at all. No. <laughs> um, no, yeah. Un- Unforgiven uh, was really, you know, at a time when they weren't making a whole lot of Westerns, like that kind of gritty stuff. I mean, we were getting like, you know, they were trying to do some, because I remember after that remember there was a time where they they, you know we had young guns and we had young guns too and i was like westerns are fun again and then it just kind of fell off and then unforgiving comes around and i was just like oh okay and i remember being like wanting to go see it but in 92 you know i'm 12 so i'm trying to talk my dad into going and he's like i don't think so son this is rated r and i was like i know but you took me to see universal soldier (laughs) i got you to go to that one but it's one of those i think i had to wait to rent that one and when that came out, you know, I rented it and it's it's not what I expected as a kid, but as I've gotten older, it definitely resonates a lot more with him, like, you know, with the young kids and him like not, you know, being out of his depth and his his poor wife dying and he's left trying to raise these kids and like like I said earlier, fight against his his very nature that he's known his whole life. So um and it's just really cool to see Clint Eastwood not be good in a Western, like he can't shoot well, he's missing things until that very end when he finally, it all clicks and he just gives it over. And he's like, I gotta be this asshole who doesn't care anymore. And then his kind of skills come back. So. Yeah. I, man, I need to rewatch it. It's too bad that you didn't get to see it in the theater though. Cause I think Westerns, that's a good, a Western is a good, like first R rated movie in the theater. Cause I think my first R rated movie in the theater, and I'm really going to, date myself for how young I am uh was the 310 to Yuma remake I went to see that with my dad okay I'm just gonna turn this off now because I <laughs> went and saw that <laughs> I tried to get out of babysitting my own kid to go watch that in the theater I think. <laughs> <laughs> no that's and what a what what a phenomenal movie to see as your first radar movie in the theater that movie that's that might be my favorite modern day western of the last oh cool um, teen years easily yeah, my dad growing up was a huge Russell Crowe guy. So we would watch like Gladiator, Master and Commander, um, and then 310 to Yuma was a really big deal. We both really loved that movie. Oh, yeah. Virtuosity wasn't a big hit in your dad? For, no. <laughs> oh, that's another Hoosiers. I've never seen Virtuosity. Oh, he plays a weird com- computer bad guy in that. And it's like not, re- it's a, one of those younger Russell Crowe movies where you're like, oh, yeah, Russell Crowe was in this before he became Gladiator. <laughs> Interesting. So if he's the bad guy, who's the hero in that? Denzel. Oh, sweet. I but he's kind of like an anti-ish hero. You know, not, not like your typical hero. So, yeah. That's so good. that's I would definitely facing check it off out. before American Gangster. Yep. Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, man. Anything else you want to say about High Plains Drifter or Clint Eastwood Westerns or anything like that? Uh, High Plains Drifter, if, like you said, if you're in the mood for kind of a nihilistic, mean-spirited movie that does have uh redeeming 
qualities, if that makes sense, um, in terms of a, a town getting its its comeuppance and like Weasley characters not getting away with being Weasley and, and cowardly. And I would say this is the movie for you. I absolutely agree. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Andy, yeah. uh, I would like to give you the chance to plug anything you'd like to plug. I think you do have some upcoming podcasts or something like that. So tell us all about it. Oh, geez. Yeah, I'm going to be, well, I'm actually recording Saturday with Lindsay for Schlock and Awe. Nice. As we know, Lindsay is amazing. Um, so I'm looking, looking forward to that. Um, if you follow us, you probably can get a taste of what we're going to be talking about. Um, and let's see, other than that, I mean, I got a couple later on in the summer, but, and then Chris and I are hopefully going to start recording um, our podcast next month. Um, we need to get a couple in the, you know, in the bag, so to speak, because uh, with both of our work, work schedules, so uh, doing that. But if you want to follow me, you can look for me at Andrew M. Gorham on both Twitter and Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Again, if you want just an insane amount of positivity shown your way, then you can follow me <laughs> and you won't see me bitching or complaining about too many things or being negative towards people. I just try to throw as much positivity and fun out there as possible. So. Absolutely. I second that. Definitely go follow Andy for lots of positivity. Oh, uh, thank you, sir. Absolutely. Well, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the cobwebs podcast. You can uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cobwebs pod. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Epler Daniel. If you want to let us know how you like the show, uh, you can leave us a rate and review on any podcast app you listen in or send us an email at cobwebspodcast at gmail.com. Next week, I'm actually going to be talking to Andy's future Star Wars co-host. So that should be fun. So we'll see you then. So, if you're in a tender mood, tune in next Tuesday. Until then, good night.